please uh, open in your Bibles at um, Acts chapter 15. In Adora- I, rather in Providence, I am uh, going through Acts in a series, Lessons from Acts. What can we learn from the early church? And so uh, this afternoon I will do Acts 15. Let us then read, and I do that also here. Let us then read Acts 15. I will not read the whole chapter, but uh, up until the letter, and then deal with the letter in the sermon. But some came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them, that's the Gentile believers, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them, and he's speaking of the household of Cornelius, remember, the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, and the remnant of mankind may, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what was strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, 
Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Now, please keep your Bibles open. So, they sent a letter, and the letter was read to the churches in Syria, and Cilicia, and beyond. And then in verse 30, <clears throat> so when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. That is the church there. And Judas, Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is the word of the Lord. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, right smack in the middle of Acts, we find what I once thought was a rather boring chapter, a rather boring chapter, surrounded by all the exciting accounts of mission reports. Well, it's boring until you take a closer look, for it tells us about a very important meeting that took place in Jerusalem, the so-called Jerusalem Council. And once you really look into it and begin to ponder what happened there, you realize how much we and the church of all the ages owe to these brothers who met there. How much we should thank God that that meeting went so well. Had the leaders lacked the courage and wisdom that they needed in that hour, there would have been no church here today, I'm afraid. So that meeting stands as a standard, a gold standard, a paradigm for all good leadership in church and church government, if we are willing to learn. And that is important, because I'm sure you're aware that the entire Western world is encountering a crisis in leadership, and often the church as well. So, what can we learn from this Apostles' Council or church meeting there in Acts? First of all, let us look at the dispute. And then we carry on from there. The solution and how it all worked itself out. First of all, we read, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. We are here in the middle of Acts, and there are exciting things of how the messianic movement grew. 
Very recently, Saul, the Pharisee, was converted. A complete miracle. The church was spreading far and wide, just as Jesus predicted. Antioch became a new center of the church in Cilicia. And other new congregations were formed throughout the region. Paul and Barnabas had just returned from their first missionary journey, telling of the conversion among the Gentiles. And then, in the midst of all these exciting things, we read, some men came from Judea, teaching the brothers. They were not going up to the elders, but they were spreading this kind of among the congregation. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And Luke tells us that it caused no small dissension. A typical way of saying a big one. A very big one. There was much arguing. You can, you can uh, uh, be sure of that. Now let us pause and think where these guys were coming from that came up from Judea. You have to give them credit at least. This has been the rule for ages. For as long as memory goes. Not only in Israel, but throughout the diaspora. That whoever wants to be part of the people of God has to be circumcised and keep the Mosaic covenant. It was a matter of orthodoxy, of faithfulness and life. How can we now abandon the way of the fathers? Of course, what they were lacking was understanding the full implications of what Jesus did for us. They did not say, Jesus is not the Son of God. No, they said, it's not enough to believe in Him. And so, before we blame them, consider how many Christians there are, often well-meaning Christians that think it would be great if we can somehow go back to, um, to Jewish customs, except for circumcision, of course. But, you know, many of the other things. They propagate that. Not as something that you choose to do out of your own free will, but as something that is, something that is needed for us. But nonetheless, there is something else here. These were men with clout. They came from Judea. It's the big brother speaking here. The mother church. In our terms you could say, well, they have read a few books of theology. So they, 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 they came from a kind of a moral high ground. And you may also ask, if you were there in that church, is this really such a big deal? How about a compromise between Antioch and Jerusalem? Okay. Adult male circumcision is, is painful. Let's, let's, leave, let's leave that out of the picture. But how about keeping some of the Jewish feasts and kosher laws? Uh, no pork and keeping the Passover and so on. And then there can be peace between Jerusalem and Antioch. Now if you, if you think that is a bit far-fetched, let me, let me tell you. That at least that, that these are the kind of compromises that people, evangelical leaders, are willing to make today with other religions. I've seen it with my own eyes. Evangelical leaders suggested to Islam that we that we stop translating son of God in the Bible and that we also call prophet, a Muhammad, a prophet of God. 
That's, these are suggestions of some evangelical leaders. We live in a time of compromise. Well, they did neither of this, thank God. But they decided to send Paul and Barnabas and some others to Jerusalem. To the apostles and the elders there. And, and this is now exactly what we typically don't like. Hey, we, we don't like conflict. Who knows how this is going to pan out for the church, the young church there in Antioch. But that is how they approached the problem. They did not pass the buck. They did not dodge the issue. They packed the bull by the horns. It already speaks volume of their character, faith and courage. For they knew this is do or die. It's now or never. We have to deal with this issue. Now, not all issues in the church are as serious as this one. At least not at first. Uh, but sometimes... Serious issues begin kind of very um, unobtrusively. You don't see them right away. And, and later on, they emerge as something big. One thing is for sure. The moment we, we get a handle on what is going on, we need to deal with it. Now, there is something else here we don't want to miss. You read that in verse 3. So, being sent on their way by the church in Antioch, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to the brothers. How are they going up to Jerusalem? This delegation from Antioch. Are they, you know, filled with dread and concern? No, as far as they go. They tell the believers, wherever they find them, of what God has been doing among the Gentiles. Remember how Luke told us in Luke 15 that that which causes joy among the angels should cause joy in your heart? That is what they were doing now. Bringing joy to believers all over the place. Is that not a way to go up to a difficult meeting? Of course. It's amazing. But there is something very, very important here not to miss. And I say this with great sensitivity. It's for a long time now that we have not really seen the church in the West grow through converts from outside. The church, the early church, according to some historians, grew at a rate of 3% a year. This simple fact... We know, you know, when we grow, it's more or less people moving between churches. But we don't see converts from outside so much. This very fact determines far more in the life of the church than we think. Because you see how the early church act in faith. It did not act from a position, oh, we're so concerned. Who's going to stay and who's going to leave? They focused their eyes on Jesus. They were not afraid. What if the Jerusalem folks would break away? So what? We have to look at Jesus. We have to follow Him. And that is very important to notice. I see that in Africa as well. Where the church really grows 
how leaders focus on the Lord above anything else. So that is the first thing. There was a meeting in Jerusalem. They called for a meeting to settle this issue. They braced themselves for it. We cannot always run away from conflict. Then the solution. We see that from verse 6 and onwards. When they were arrived, when they arrived, they were welcomed. But of course, those that party of the Pharisees also made their presence felt. And there was a real standoff. Just imagine. Now, if you read your Bible closely, and then you will you will find that these type of guys, these party of the Pharisees, just this is a name for them, but this sort of guys, people, pop up everywhere. You find them in Galatians, in Colossians, in the pastoral letters. Uh, how they try to impose their agenda on the body of believers. And they always seem very devout. They're devout for the law of Moses. You could say they're devout for theology. And then they create quarrels. And so you see how Paul, writing to Timothy and Titus, before he deals with anything else, he says, Timothy, Titus, appoint elders, godly men, that are able to deal with this issue. Because this will suck the life out of the church. Because remember, error not only comes from the left, it also comes from the right. Not only from Sadducees, but from Pharisees. Not only from progressives, but from conservatives. It seems here was a problem from the right. And so these guys rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise these new believers and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So what is happening here? What is going to happen rather, I should ask? No doubt other meetings have been held there in Jerusalem in the early church, but Luke recorded this one for us because of its immense importance. And he puts it right in the middle of Acts. That shows you how important it is. And we are told that there was much debate, possibly lasting a few days, and then after some time, Peter stood up. We should not pass over this too quickly. Not miss this detail. Peter could have preferred, like we often do today, to keep a back seat, to remain seated. I don't want to speak. Let somebody else speak. I don't want to put up my hand. I don't want to be put in the spotlight. You could have excused him for that. For he was in hot water not long ago about the Cornelius situation. But remember what Jesus said. On this rock I will build my church. Peter, if you love me, watch over my sheep. There's a wonderful South African woman, Tudi Madonsela. She wrote on leadership. She said, taking responsibility for a situation is the key mark of leadership. That's what you see here. Peter stood up. Thank God. Listen what he's saying in verse 7 of Acts 15. 
Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's referring to that whole incident you find in chapter 10, how the Lord revealed to him through a vision while he was praying that he should not refuse to go to Cornelius and how then the Lord saved Cornelius and his household and they received the Holy Spirit in a visible manner and were baptized. God, says Peter, made no distinction between us and them. Peter draws from the works of God in history. God made no distinction. He cleansed their heart, their hearts through faith. He cleansed their hearts. It's important because Jews viewed Gentiles as unclean. But then Jesus came and told us, it's not pots and pans and plates that are unclean. It's the heart. It's from the heart that comes murder and adultery and, 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 and what have you. And, and yet God cleansed their hearts. He broke them. He gave them sorrow for sin and, and faith in Jesus. And He washed their sins and filled them with His Spirit and sealed them in baptism. God made no distinction. They were saved just like us. So what are we doing now? Who are we now to impose a yoke on their necks that our fathers could not even bear? Did Jesus not say, come unto me, all you are weary laden, and take my yoke upon you? Are we, are we allowed to add another yoke than the yoke of Jesus? Shall we test God? And then Peter says, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus as they will. Brothers, if that is true for us, that we are saved by the grace of Jesus, Jews, then it is true for them, Gentiles. And you can apply this to your culture, also your church culture, and to any other people from any other culture or tradition. If this is how we are saved, then this is how they are saved. But now, mind you, you go and read Galatians, it becomes much more subtle. These folks have learned a lesson, these uh, troublemakers. They didn't say there in Galatians, oh, it's Jesus plus. No, 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 no. Uh, it worked a little bit differently. When they had their potlucks, uh, these brothers uh, from the circumcision, you could say, not all Jews, but those in that party, they didn't want to mix with those that didn't think like them. Didn't want to keep the whole law of Moses. So they, they kept themselves aloof from the others. Even Peter began to compromise. And Paul was furious. So in Galatians, it, it had a different color. Just by, mere, by way of a clique in the church. A more, uh, you could say... A little bit of snobbery, looking down on others. It was more subtle. But it was just as bad. Paul said there, you are destroying the gospel as you're doing here. So Peter made a powerful speech. His point was clear. But what if Peter was the only one and nobody else was willing to back him up? But lo and behold... The very half-brother of Jesus 
the chairman, James, stood up. According to Josephus, one of the most respected men in Jerusalem. And he said, brothers, listen to me. And he too reminded them of the Cornelius episode that it proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is taking for himself a people from among the Gentiles. And that, James says, confirmed, and now he is quoting scripture, what God said through the prophets, and he quotes Amos. That once the Lord has restored the house of David, which he did by raising Jesus, he will do that not only for Israel's sake, but for the Gentiles' sake. Wonderful, read Act, or rather Amos 9. And so James says, let us not trouble these folks from the Gentiles any longer who turn to God. And then James added some instructions that, uh, that seem kind of strange to us. We'll come to that in a minute. So that is how they dealt with their problem. There's so much to be learned from that. Do you know why institutions fail and we live in a time when many fail? Because we lack the courage to face big issues or looming threats. And, and, and we think we are merely struggling with flesh and blood, people, so and so and so and so, with maybe lots of money or lots of influence. No, no, no. Paul said our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with spiritual forces in dark places. We avoid so very often the white, or rather the elephant in the room. Because dealing with it might come with great cost. What do you think would have happened there? What do you think would have happened had they not dealt with this? One of the most precious marks of true Christianity that, that you can know it's made in heaven and not man-made is this, that there is no longer male nor female, slave nor free, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. It is unique in all the world and in all history. But when you add to the soft yoke of Jesus, which means obedience to his word, and you add human traditions and human commands, you break up that unity. Because Jesus never asked that of those disciples. You see, it can be subtle or it can be blatant. It doesn't matter. Whether it's a man-made law put on the shoulders of his disciples or expecting of God's people to turn a blind eye to, to something that is bad. It doesn't matter. It will divide the flock of Christ. So that is how they dealt with it. That's the solution they found for it. Now I want to point to the follow-up. Verses 29 through uh, 22 to 29. Then it seemed good to the apostles and elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. 
And then you read the letter. The brothers, both the apostle and the elder, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, since we've heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus. I just want to say a few things about this letter that's really important to notice. First of all, the letter is brief and clear and wrote, written in a pastoral tone. First. Second, it mentions the origins of the trouble since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and trouble you. There are times when we have to mention it and not shrink back from it. Some have gone out from us and troubled you. Because that is how they will know, these brothers, that they will have to step in line. That is how they will know. But if we never say that, they can just go silent and later pop up again. And then thirdly, they send them a few instructions. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit to lay no greater burden on you than these requirements that you abstain from what was sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. And theologians and scholars scratch their heads. What's going on here? But you know missionaries don't. Missionaries look at this and say, it's obvious what's going on here. They were telling them, these Gentiles coming out of paganism, we are saved by grace alone, for sure. But stay far away from your pagan, cultic worship, sacrifices, uh, prostitution, everything that is associated with paganism. Because if you don't, you will grieve the spirit and hurt the body. So yes, we are saved by Jesus alone, but have nothing to do anymore with that kind of lifestyle. And so the fourth thing we notice in this letter, they send them with Barnabas and Paul and listen to their credentials. Men who have risked their lives for the Lord Jesus. What credentials? Not men who own businesses, who have PhDs, who have many years of experience. Men who have risked their lives. That's amazing. And so we look at the outcome. 30 through 35. So they were sent off and delivered the letter. And the congregation rejoiced. They rejoiced. There's someone I listen to sometimes. He says on his podcast. I will help you to think straight so that you can feel well. I will help you to think straight so that you can feel well. Or feel better. 
You know, when we don't think straight, we don't feel very well. And that's why we need to be instructed in the truth. I guarantee you, by God's grace, if you think well, if you guard your thoughts and fill your heart and mind with a word, with a gospel, you will also feel well. That is why the church was on the forefront for ages in expanding literacy. People must be able to read and write. If they can't read and write, they can't think well and they can't feel well. And so there was great encouragement and joy. The brothers were strengthened with many words. There was peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And Paul and Barnabas, they were not all caught up in this black hole, struggling with a problem that never seems to get away, sucking all their energy. Oh, they could go on preaching the gospel. So the gospel could run through the world. You see, the church is in good shape when it has the joy and the peace of the Holy Spirit and the gospel can run without hindrance. When that happens, the church is in good shape. And that is what its leaders must zealously protect that is why we must deal with issues when it comes up. Quarreling must be nipped in the bud. At first of all, investigate it. Why we don't simply lay burdens on the necks of disciples that Jesus doesn't. Or, 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 or shove things under the, under the rug which will disturb the sheep of Christ. You see what was at stake here? Jesus said, through Paul to the elders of Ephesus, watch over this flock that Christ purchased with his own blood. These elders were fighting for the royal rights of Jesus. If they didn't do that, everything would have become confused. The sheep wouldn't have heard the message, the words of their shepherd clearly anymore. And eventually... Who knows how it would have gone. And that is also why we must pray for all our leaders that God will bless them with great integrity. That they will act by principle, not convenience. That they will take responsibility with courage and wisdom that comes from the Lord. And not only for three years, but for life, for as long as you live, this flock of Jesus will be the apple of his eye and also of mine. Why do institutions fail? Why do they go under? Churches that have been blessed, that started out so well, Dr. Godfrey once said in a conference I attended, 10 years it takes for a good church to fail. Why? 
in the first place, among other things, they lack leadership. We speak about the elephant in the room. It means there is something everybody knows about, but nobody dares to touch it. Because we hate conflict. We want peace. I love to play tennis. A couple of seasons ago, I had a severe knee ache, and I thought, this is it. I have to get surgery or something. Then winter came, and next summer it was gone. Hasn't come back yet. It does not go like that with big problems in the church. They don't go away like that by itself. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, remember what the Lord said through his prophet Ezekiel in chapter 13. He warned the prophets who swept sin under the rug by preaching peace, peace where there is no peace. He said, you prophets, you don't speak from me. Your days are numbered. You are covering the cracks in the walls of Jerusalem with whitewash. But the walls will collapse. And that refers to all of history. Not only to them. And so, let us who lead in the church zealously guard the throne rights of Jesus because he purchased his flock with his own blood. Brothers, if I can speak to anyone who's in leadership, keep your eyes on him. Not on who will possibly join or possibly leave, but on Christ. Remember how many times he said, it is when we are willing to die to ourselves that we shall live. If you want to save your life, you will lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life, your reputation, your comfort, whatever it is, you will gain it. Let us die to our fears that our churches might thrive. Let us die to our comfort and ease that our children will have a future. Let us die to our own honor so that God may be honored. May now the peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit remain with you all. Come, let us pray. Lord our God, we thank you for your word. When Alexander Solzhenitsyn came to us in the 70s and said, the first thing he noticed about the West is the lack of courage. He was not far from wrong. Oh God, Grant us courage, character. Help us to take responsibility anywhere for a situation, wherever it occurs. 
and not to think of ourselves first. This is how we follow you, Jesus. This is what you did. When you came from heaven to die for us, you saw and you came and you took the load of our sins upon you and rose again. Bless every brother that is in leadership, that is an elder or a deacon or a pastor, and also those that are now not serving. It is not a three-year thing, Lord. It is for life that we should take care of the flock of God. And so bless your people here in adoration. Pour out your spirit. Grant them abundance of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that the gospel will go forth with power week after week. And also not only from the pulpit, but through the members hearing it wherever they live and work and have their being. Hear us. For Jesus' sake, amen.